0: Good morning. I'm your host, Claudia Shamba, welcoming you to the May 22nd, 2018 edition of Ask a Leader. Thank you to those who recently contributed to our fund drive or the UCI Day of Giving. If you didn't contribute, well, our website stands at attention to service your burning need to be generous. Today, we're going to cover some legislative races in our coastal area. First, we'll hear from California's 74th District Assemblyman Matt Harper, a Republican running for re-election on the primary ballot. The 74th includes Huntington Beach, Costa Mesa, Newport Beach, Irvine, Laguna Beach and Laguna Woods. My second guest will be Hans Kirstead, Democratic candidate in the California's 48th Congressional District, which is centered in Huntington Beach and includes the coastal cities from Seal Beach to Laguna Niguel. Well, we'll be right back after station break with Assemblyman Matt Harper. Stay tuned, don't go away. Welcome back to the show. My first guest today is California 74th District Assemblyman Matt Harper, a Republican running for re-election on the primary ballot. I'm going to say June 5th until I turn blue here. The 74th includes, and everybody keep take note because this may be your district, those tuning in live and, and the podcast, Huntington Beach, Costa Mesa, Newport Beach, Irvine, Laguna Beach, and Laguna Woods. A real estate broker by trade, Matt Harper, hails from and lives in Huntington Beach with his wife, Elizabeth. He attended Orange Coast College, then transferred to USC to complete his Bachelor's of Science degree in public policy and management. His first elected office uh, where he served three terms, was on the Huntington Beach Union High School District Board. He then was elected to the city council, where he was appointed by the council to serve in the latter portion there as a mayor. He served as a policy advisor to, uh, to various Orange County uh, electeds and served as an appointee to the five-member Orange County Redistricting Committee. In addition, he served as the chairman of the Young Republican Federation of California and the executive committee of the Orange County GOP. He com- Completes His second year term in the assembly this year running in this June 5th primary against Cotty Norris Petri, whom I interviewed last week, Karina Anofre, and Katherine Daigle, whom I've interviewed in past campaigns, and Ryan Ta, whom I've been unable to get a response to uh, my request for an interview. Assemblyman Matt Harper comes to us today, not from your Sacramento office. You're down in Huntington Beach.
1: Uh, I am in Sacramento working for you.
0: Oh, you are. So that's what I I saw the uh, area code, and I thought you might. So he comes from his corner office. I'm calling on my
1: mobile phone. (laughs) Okay.
0: Well, if there's a little delay, folks, and it sounds like I'm talking over him, that's what happens with the cell phone. So welcome to Ask a Leader, Assemblyman Harper.
1: Well, happy to be here this morning.
0: Well, thank you. Well, while you're campaigning in the 74th, what concerns are your constituents imparting to you?
1: I'll tell you, they're talking about a lot of things. Um, and, uh, you know, one of the great things about uh, representing this area uh, that I will say, uh, it does get reflected uh, in, uh, in polling. Uh, they say that uh, Huntington Beach and Irvine are some of the happiest uh, people in the entire country. And that's true. Uh, we do represent a lot of uh, happy folks uh, here in the 74th district, but uh, on the other hand, they do have some frustrations uh, with their government in the state of California. Uh, people are noticing crime going up, uh, people, and that's you know something that we thought we had a handle on in the past, but uh, it's crept up uh, because a lot of uh, folks are being let out of the jails, a lot of the folks are being sent from prisons to jail, and that's uh, moving people uh, out onto the streets. Uh, people are concerned about the level of uh, income tax uh, that we have within the state. People are concerned about the gas tax uh, that they're now paying, and they're wondering why they're paying it uh, when uh, the state is already re- receiving record revenues. Uh, and so uh, it's quite a few different things that uh, that people end up uh, asking me about. Uh, one is uh, sober living homes and the ab- inability of the uh, the state uh, to be able to do its part. That's a federal issue, a state issue, and a local issue. Each of us have our own part in terms of tackling uh, those issues
0: so well I'll open up that one a uh, greater detail in a minute about the, the sort of the federal the state and the local uh, mm-hmm. shares of addressing the the homelessness and in amidst this really hot hot real estate market so well I want to go in um, at the California GOP convention it didn't um, it, that was in San Diego earlier this month it there it didn't really raise any substantive coverage about climate change that's both, it's an economic engine in the 74th as well as around Orange County, and it is a matter of considerable environmental importance along the coastal zone. My climate sign guests, when they come on, they are a—they are more than sporting furrowed brows about this. Why? Why do you think at the convention that climate change wasn't addressed?
1: Well, I, I would say that the purpose of the convention was endorsing candidates, and so I'm not sure if that was an issue that separated, uh, say, for instance, uh, Travis Allen versus uh, John Cox uh, or Eric Early versus uh, John Bailey, but that was the focus of the uh, the state party convention that we had, was to endorse uh, statewide candidates. That's one of the difficulties uh, that, uh, that, that people have and, and, and voters have with this uh, top-two style of election. Uh, is it used to be that the uh, people who are the voters of each respective candidate used to get to decide who the nominees of the candidates are. Uh, now this top-two system has forced uh, parties uh, to, to, to endorse through delegates uh, or, through, uh, or through their local parties. Uh, in fact, that's kind of one of the confusing things that uh, you may explore with the, uh, the Democrats on the congressional side. I think they have their, their state party delegates endorsed one candidate, and then the the DCCC is trying to fund a different candidate so it's uh, making for a very mixed up uh, situation with this uh, this prop 14 top 2 system.
0: So is there now you're our guy to cover this is, so is there a discussion in the assembly to reconsider that cuz that, that I guess that was a sort of a, a an a item that was tacked on to a a bill in a compromise negotiated some 5 or 6 years ago but is there a discussion that this has to be this has to change? Go back to the...
1: uh, well. Well, actually, it it, it was uh, decided by the voters of the state of California. So through proposition, yeah, that... through Proposition 14, few uh, elections back, uh, the voters decided to approve uh, that ballot initiative. Abel Maldonado, who uh, used to be the lieutenant governor, uh, and Arnold Schwarzenegger were both supporters of uh, of that that ballot initiative. Um, but it's made our system very different than in the rest of the country, and so. Uh, a lot of people around the country are talking about our politics in California, uh, potentially producing some very strange results. There could be two Democrats on the ballot in the fall for U.S. Senate. There could be two Democrats in the fall uh, on the ballot for governor of the state of California. There could be, there two, could be Republicans two Republicans on the ballot for U.S. Congress in right. the 48th uh, Congressional exactly. District or uh, in, uh, in others. Uh, and so it creates a, a strange kind of a one-party runoff, uh, potentially – uh, in a, in a lot of races, uh, is that something that the state legislature can overturn? Yes. No. Nope. Because it was decided by the voters, and only the voters can overturn themselves.
0: Okay. Well, I'm I'm interested in how the that the assembly and the state senate can lead with restructuring that and push back out another initiative as was it came originally from the assembly and uh, from the state legislature, so we could address that i mean there's i still talk to people who have that i have no idea that that top two matter is there so let's let's go back to the the topic of affordable housing available housing emergency housing mix in the 74th you're talking about people are happy but i think i think they're feeling the strain of keeping up with the housing market so what do you see is the state legislature's role in this mix of every city taking on the all levels of of housing stock
1: so i'm going to tell you the number one issue that is a blockade toward the construction of new housing and all the candidates for governor agree the supply side is the most impactful part of trying to have enough housing for all californians uh, you can try to build some affordable housing or some government housing, but it's going to be minuscule compared to property owners meeting the market demand. The problem that people have here in the state of California in terms of producing for that demand uh, that uh, is the major impediment is called CEQA. And CEQA, was originally adopted, was a great idea. It was signed into law by Governor Reagan, the California Environmental Equality Act and it was meant for that uh, when you have land uses uh, that impact on the environment, you have to mitigate for those impacts somewhere else or on that site. So in other words, for every uh, impact that you have on the environment, you've got to uh, make an improvement on that site or somewhere on somewhere else. What CEQA has evolved into is something that's used to blockade things. And one thing that it's often blocking is the ability to be able to build neighborhoods, to be able to build housing for people here in the state of California. In fact, uh, if you drive up on the 5 Freeway, uh, you'll see a lot of signs for a place called Tohono Ranch. And Tahoe Ranch is ready to build tens of thousands of homes. But because of CEQA and because that regulatory environment that's amassed itself around CEQA, they can't meet that market demand. And we're talking about, you know, elbow room. Uh, not necessarily building vertical, but we're talking about being able to build out new neighborhoods and new communities within the state of California. The sequence uh preventing that, and that, I think, is one of the biggest things that's preventing um, home affordability here within the state of California is the inability uh, for property owners and uh, developers to meet that demand for supply because if supply can increase. That's good for everybody, no matter what level of housing gets constructed to meet market demand.
0: So what about that emergency housing mix that we're dealing with, the the judicial ruling uh, that is trying to locate reasonably safe housing for the homeless in and around Santa Ana and Anaheim, and there there is the, the obligation for each city to assume some of that housing stock. What does the state legislator have as a role to see that that share the fair share in all the municipalities in your respective districts is addressed well
1: well, well, well there's a part of the share of the, of the the state government in terms of the funding of programs like that and the great thing is that orange county is a very generous county so it's a part of having state funding county funding uh, but also uh, having the community involved with nonprofits making sure that people have uh, that hand up to be able to locate it because that's required under the US constitution and that's what the uh, the judge is trying to administer in this particular situation is you can't have a municipality simply try to sweep people out uh, without any solution to that uh, to that situation otherwise you simply get people sweeped from city to city to city and that hasn't worked no. you know we have, we've 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 seen for for years uh, many cities have tried to dump their homeless problem in downtown los angeles on skid row well, the difference t- between today and 20 years ago is now there's about 50,000-plus uh, individuals that either pay the rent or pay the mortgage in downtown L.A. When I was a student at uh, the University of Southern California, uh, for, my, uh, uh, for, for the end of my years there, I was uh, living in downtown L.A., so back then I was kind of a pioneer in the mid-1990s. It was very unusual uh, for people to be living in downtown, but now it's commonplace. It's a city uh, about the size of Fountain Valley. Uh, would fit uh, in terms of his population in downtown, which is a lot of people, and those are people who I think are are rightly concerned uh, about having uh, homeless folks just dumped into their area. And so every part of Southern California uh, doesn't want to be a dumping ground, if you will. Uh, The uh, real solution uh, is governments working together uh, to be helping the folks, uh, who are willing to engage in that hands up. And that's and that's really um, a big part of addressing the homeless issue, is getting a lot of the folks up on their feet uh, and being able to get back uh, into into society.
0: Well, we're seeing that the, uh, every municipality in Orange County, they're pointing at each other. No, you do it. No, you do it. Not me, but you do it. It's it, I don't know what the, you see as the state legislative uh, leader have in mind to so, like you said, do that. Give that hand up so that everybody takes on well, the share.
1: Well, well, it's it, the big thing is about integration. Uh, I think that uh, you know you saw this in Irvine. Uh, nobody wants to be a home of a brand new tent city, uh, and I think that that's uh, that that's a real concern. Uh, but you know, in terms of folks that are uh, being uh, that are utilizing vouchers for housing individually, so there's not an over concentration in one particular area. That's the way to be able to solve the issue uh, rather than just have um, have have some town be the dumping ground like what happened behind the uh, uh, Angel Stadium uh, that I think uh, is is it's it's not only intolerable uh, for for everyone uh, but it's particularly uh, uh, not uh, good for those who are homeless because those situations you're talking about uh, you no know, uh, you know, no sanitary conditions, uh, and it's it's pretty rough. I, I've talked to some of the sheriffs uh, and to some of the folks in the California Conservation Corps uh, that had to clean up through uh, that uh, that uh, business over there in the uh, Santa Ana River Trail, and it's just uh, it's just awful. Awesome.
0: So for those of you who've just joined us, you're listening to Ask a Leader. My guest is California's 74th District Assemblyman Matt Harper, a Republican running for re-election on the June 5 primary ballot, and I'll repeat, the 74th includes Huntington Beach, Costa Mesa, Newport Beach, Irvine, Laguna Beach, and Laguna Woods. We're going to transition out of the housing because there's so many topics here uh, to cover, and in the short time we have remaining, there's a lot of campaign finance legislation that's been passed in Sacramento. What was your disposition, your position, on the Disclose Act, AB 249?
1: Uh, One of the things that uh, was uh, pretty ridiculous about that act uh, is it made a major exception for unions, Uh, and so I objected on that basis. It wanted to disclose for everyone and then just leave this big, giant loophole for unions. And as you probably are familiar with, uh, the biggest contributor campaigns here in the state of California is a union. And when you also go down the, the, uh, the, the row, uh, the, especially the public employee unions are often the biggest heavy hand within, uh, within the state of California and pushing big money spending uh, within the state of California. In fact, uh, the SEIU gave uh, one, of my, uh, one of my opponents uh, a double maximum contribution of $8,800. Uh, and so uh, for them to be able to uh, carve out a loophole for themselves, uh, I thought was wrong. And so that's the reason why I voted against that bill, but it's also why I introduced uh, a bill in this year to try to close that loophole because I thought that that was wrong.
0: So is now, that of course, still
1: the, moving of through? Course, the majority party gets gets a big part of their funding from labor unions. So
0: what's the name of that uh, bill? And so
1: they always they always carve it out.
0: What's the name of that bill that you're you're sponsoring?
1: Let me get let me get the number okay, for Okay. So you. while you're but, looking uh, that
0: up. Then, that's, but, so the sli- that's
1: the Go ahead.
0: The California, excuse me, that's what happens if cell phones always stack up the follow up questions. I, I can never get around that. So the, <laughs> the, the legislature is taking another passive disclosure with the Social Media Disclose Act, AB 2188. What is your position on that legislation?
1: Okay. You're going to have so to tell it's, me who's the a author. So you, dis- remember, remember, we we deal with about uh, 5,000 pieces of legislation so, over the course of a year. So it's an effort so please, to, please help me out with the author it's, and the uh, it's an and, effort and, and the background.
0: To disclose who is the one pushing out that social media ad. We Sometimes it's extremely opaque, and we don't know, since that's where lots of campaigns go negative, that it's an effort to sort of get some kind of disclosure of who's supporting that particular campaign announcement so I don't well, know, what- I know
1: that I know that Facebook uh, in particular has actually already done that they made the deadline on uh, on May 20th uh, so that uh, when folks have a uh, political uh, political website up they have to have their identifying information uh, so that uh, so that folks have to, uh, to to do that in order to uh, put that up on uh, put put that up on Facebook
0: so the, so, so
1: is is a question whether the government should require someone to do do something that they're already doing themselves?
0: Well, this this has been underway since I think that Facebook made that adjustment. You know, after the some of the the high profile appearances in the the national legislature, but I, I know from yeah. some of the people that are working on trying to get disclosure all the way through uh, who's funding everything because we're I'm, I've got a stack of flyers at home. And many of them, we have no idea who the is. It the California Development Association. There's some some very very uh, opaque kinds of organizations. We have no idea who they are. We don't know whose money they're passing through. And so uh, every th- these disclosure steps are a way to give people an idea of an association with the message, so that we can t- take a position on that candidate, that measure, or that. Whomever, so correct,
1: so. And, and you're identifying that that's that that's a trick, whether it's uh, online or whether it's through the mail or whether it's Everywhere. being passed uh, passed through the neighborhood. That's that's a challenge across the board.
0: So the uh, California Consumer Privacy Act, it's making its way uh, toward the statewide ballot. So um, how what is your position uh, on that?
1: And with, who's the author of that one?
0: I don't. That's a going. It's the uh, the the tech magnates uh, that are bringing this through. They, they're trying to sort of lead with the lead with California to address what was the pitfalls of the the. The third party sharing and all that with the social media that, you know, we we're talking about with, the, with Facebook and, and other organizations, other firms. So uh, it's 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 moving through. But so we'll um, we'll get back to that. So um, then yeah. how about the transportation funding in Senate Bill one?
1: Oh, and that's one of the things that I think uh, is particularly mindful uh, as uh, his uh, as I previously brought up uh we have a situation in which uh you know because of the national the, the national economy is going right now there's a record amount of revenue here within the state of california so uh the need for that uh that additional gas tax that was uh that was passed last year and keep in mind that that's a da- gas tax that was passed in contravention uh to uh one of Gary, uh, jerry brown's uh campaign prom- promises when he ran for governor he said that uh tax increases uh, under him, would go to the voters uh, and not just be put through the state legislature. Uh, and they didn't do that with, uh, with SB1. They just uh, went and got two-thirds of the state legislature in the Assembly. Uh, you know, every uh, one of the Republicans uh, voted against it. Uh, all but one of the uh, Democrats uh, voted, uh, v- voted for it. Uh, they have uh, two-thirds to be able to, uh, to bring those uh, tax increases through. And so uh, that's something that I think that people were, were shocked by, especially when it was a violation of a campaign promise. And so that's why uh, voters signed enough uh, petitions. And we certainly have a, a vote that will happen, not uh, as a result of legislature or the governor, uh, but by ballot initiative. Uh, and that will be uh, for uh, November. And I, I think that we have a situation in which uh, we don't need that uh, additional revenue from, uh, from the gas tax. Uh, that indeed we can pay for with the funds that we already have. I supported an alternative uh, eight-bill plan uh, to be able to meet our needs because I, I very much support uh, the need to improve our roads and improve our freeways and improve our other transportation infrastructure. I just think that we have the funds to be able to do it It's a matter of prioritizing.
0: Well, we have a very little time remaining, um, I'm trying to roll this Education. all <laughs> Education. You gotta deal
1: with the number one issue.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, well, go ahead. So, we're, so what, are you, uh, what kind of water are you carrying for UCI in this session right now?
1: Well, I'm a big supporter of the University of California altogether. I'm a big supporter of financing the University of California. I've been supportive of the asks that UC Irvine has specifically uh, in terms of their site construction. Uh, and making sure that the university improves. Even though the name of the student newspaper uh, is New University, it is not. It is now a well-established uh, institution uh, among higher education institutions, not only in, in America but throughout the world. And so making sure that we can uh, continue to improve uh, the structures, continue to improve the education, uh, is something that uh, is a big priority for me specifically at UCI. And as you pointed out, Uh, I served on the school board for the Huntington Beach Union High School District for 12 years. I care very much about education and am always a proponent of our number one priority, uh, which is funding not only K-12 education, uh, but also post-secondary education here within the state of California.
0: Well, as we wrap up the interview, Assemblyman Harper, where can our listeners meet and hear you ask their questions in the runup? That we don't have that many uh, days left before the June fifth primary. Where can they meet? You no, and and,
1: and re- really, it's 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 about the general election and in uh, in this particular situation, in the primary, you know, what we'll figure out, you know, which uh, challenger ends up uh, making it uh, to to the runoff. Uh, but that's been the case uh, for for every uh, race, uh, in the legislature in this top two system is it's, uh, really been a, a matter of deciding who, uh, who is the challenger for, for the incumbent when there's an incumbent in the race. And so, uh, I'll be throughout the district, uh, throughout Huntington beach, Costa Mesa, Irvine, uh, Laguna beach, Laguna woods, uh, throughout, uh, the rest of the year. Uh, the legislature of course is in session, uh, until the end of August. Uh, but I'll be, uh, in district, uh, in the neighborhoods, at community events. Any particular uh, the events district. our uh, listeners can yeah. hear
0: about the, in the next two weeks? I'm sorry. Any of, any particular uh, venues, uh, forums that you're going to be at in the next two weeks before the primary? No, it's
1: it's it's all about contacting voters, person to person, within within this amount of time frame because they're so close uh, to the election. Because people are already voting right now. People can vote by mail up to eight, uh, four weeks before the election itself. Well, I'm, uh, and so it's really important that, uh, that that voters get that background information to be able to make a good, uh, informed decision uh, before voting.
0: Well, I want to thank you very much for being on the show today, Mad Harper, Assemblyman Harper. Thank you for being on Ask a Leader today. Absolutely. Okay. My guest was California's 74th District Assemblyman Matt Harper, a Republican, running for re-election on the primary ballot, June 5. The 74th includes Huntington Beach, Costa Mesa, Newport Beach, Irvine, Laguna Beach, and Laguna Woods. We'll be right back after a short station break with Hans Kirstad, Democratic candidate in the California 48th Congressional District. Don't go away. <music> For all you surfer and retro listeners, that was the theme song from *Endless Summer*. Thank you for staying tuned. My next guest is Hans Kirstead. He's the Democratic candidate in the a Democratic candidate in the California 48th congressional district, which is centered in Huntington Beach and includes Seal Beach. Sunset Beach, Huntington Beach, Midway City, parts of Westminster, Fountain Valley, Garden Grove, Santa Ana, even there's a little tiny piece of Irvine when I looked closely at that, and um, a little parts of uh, San Juan Capistrano, Costa Mesa, Newport Beach, parts of Elisa Viejo, La- all of Laguna, and parts of Irvine, as I said, and a little bit of Laguna Niguel. Hans Kierstad, originally from the Ontario province, in Canada, completed his Bachelors of Science in Cell Biology and Ph.D. in Neurobiology at the University of British Columbia, then completed his postdoctoral work at the University of Cambridge. At his 15-year appointment at UCI, he developed therapies for late-stage cancers, ALS, and spinal cord injury. He's launched several medical research companies in Orange County and is currently CEO at I-Vita? Avita. Avita. A I V I T A, uppercase, biomedical and enterprise developing a cancer treatment. Pretty pretty advanced clinical trial phase at this point. He cut his teeth. On politics, while seeking support statewide for the California stem cell initiative Prop 71, which has uh, set the whole standard for the country about uh, s- a stem cell research, and as I was told, it was it's it created. There's it's part of the Mason-Dixon line. Mm-hmm. On one side is where stem cell search research is thriving, and uh, where it isn't above the line. So, he's advised federal legislators on health care and biotechnology. He lives with his wife and son in Laguna Beach and joins me this morning in studio. Welcome to Ask a Leader, Hans Kirstead.
2: Good morning, and thank you.
0: Thank you. Well, first is the, uh, it's the electoral office. Why did you choose U.S. Congress to run, and why here?
2: Well, I saw the devastations to consumer protections, the devastations to our science, medical, and healthcare systems wrought by the Trump administration. And that really Just how grabbed the, my I attention. Want
0: to know, how do you spell rot? W-R- <laughs> or
2: <laughs> yes, that's right. Oh right, yeah. Um, you know, that that's what really made me stand up and take notice and want to do something. But what really flipped me over the edge to run was the realization that there is no one in the House of Representatives, not one of the 435 congressmen and women that we have representing us that has a broad, deep experience in healthcare. Even the docs, healthcare.
0: We've got all kinds of physicians in there. We have six like physicians, hand- yeah,
2: okay. and um, they know a great deal about the human body, but their experience doesn't go to negotiating insurance rates for drugs that they've developed. It doesn't go to employing people. It doesn't go to lobbying, drug pricing, drug regulation, administration of the system such as the experiences I had as a chartered member of the NIH.
0: So, let's take that up. The pharma, if that is your portfolio, what's your analysis of the president's executive order and subsequent plans regulating drug pricing?
2: You know, we have a ridiculously unregulated system of drug pricing nationally. Here in California, we put forward SB 17, which was a small step in the right direction of forcing drug companies to expose why and how they are increasing drug prices for 60 days before they do it? It gives a period for outcry and debate and challenge. We don't have such a thing nationally. What the president has done is a very, very small step into a an abyss, frankly, of lack of regulation, a um, just a you know a crime on families, devastating families with outrageous drug prices. Claudia, if I can tell a quick story. Okay, a quick one. Yeah, a very quick story. I don't want I, a stump happening here no, on my head. I, I developed a, uh, a treatment with my team for uh, the number one genetic killer of infants in the world. It turned out that my, inter, my um, treatment was a little bit more intervention and administering it to uh, these babies. There was another competitor who had a drug that was simply needle injection. So I halted my work, let them go forward with this treatment. And it worked. They did a great job. That drug cost fifty three dollars to make. It was picked up by Big Pharma, and the bill is seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars. These companies are devastating families. Ask yourself, what would you pay to save the life of your dying baby?
0: But it's a sliding scale. The more dire it is, the more you're willing to pay, and that's where the bankruptcy we I mean we know that from everybody else's stumps as well. But so the, I, I wanted you to take the this breaking news uh, this recently developing news that was a sort of a, it looked like a bait and switch it looked like we're all waiting for the White House to issue a drug pricing um, sort of transparency in the pricing and all that but it became a, just a, simply a matter of
2: it became a matter of putting uh, politics in front of issues that was it. It was just political speak that did nothing and has no substance to it. If we really wanted to do something about drug pricing, we would regulate it. We would work with the drug companies and and do something like SB 17 did.
0: So how would you caucus then? And we, we, as I talk with other congressional candidates, we don't know who's going to be in the majority. We don't know who's the leadership. But how would you caucus with your own colleagues in Congress about Putting these prices down to something as a field, reasonable.
2: As a field expert in healthcare, science, and medicine, someone who brings thirty years of field expertise to the table, I'll be able to reach across the aisle. You know, frankly speaking, cancer doesn't care if you're red or blue, and everybody knows that. Healthcare in itself, science, medicine, is not a political issue. It is politicized, no doubt, but that's where the downfall of Congress has been and where it is. This is being put secondary to political gain. It's exactly what we saw to the Trump administration mandating or decreasing or eliminating, I mean to say, the mandate for getting health care. Tacked on to a tax bill, devastating the ACA's enrollment for political gain.
0: So the pharmaceutical researchers and manufacturing of America is sending a lot of money through the American Action Network and it's actually this is everything coming together in in your campaign this is supporting sympathetic congressional candidates now political reported that this anonymous American Action Network has raised 41.9 million dollars to spread around in the races it's sort of putting the thumb on the scales for for future policymakers on this. So uh, how how are you dealing with that?
2: You know, I think one of the worst things that has happened to our political system is Citizens United, allowing corporate money into politics. And many PACs followed that to work in a gray area. I have always maintained that I will never take corporate money, and I never have. I don't think that this is how we should be running our system. We think we should be Elected by the people, not by the interests of big pharma, insurance companies, whatever.
0: So we're going to move in. We're going to—it's like a lightning round to, to cover all of these heady uh, topics. I hope we can. That uh, we're going to talk now about the tech sector and what is the Congress's role to regulate the social media platforms and the reach of the, the companies like Facebook with all the applications that it owns.
2: Well, I tell you, we should not be. Um, regulating that sector for the benefit of the corporations. We should be regulating that sector for the benefit of the users, the constituents of all of the districts that we represent. So, for example, net neutrality, um, shifting tax bases to these companies, giving them more accessibility to our Um, private information for use in advertising. These are the things that benefit those companies so they can make money. I would like to see that flipped to benefit the constituents so we can see ease of use and transparency. Do
0: you see that the European rules, the General Data Protection Regulation, is that a, a, a fix that you see as a worthy uh, alternative? To what I do. You know,
2: Europe has done some very progressive uh, things with, um, you know, in a more socialist type of environment. Uh, I, I don't think we should be adapting all, adopting all socialist movements at all. But in the social media sector, we certainly need to be protecting free speech and access to information, not sequestering it for the benefit of advertising companies.
0: For those of you who've just joined us, you're listening to Ask a Leader on Radio KUCI. We're on Twitter at KUCIFM, Instagram, Tumblr, and Facebook. You can just run the KUCI and you can pull it all the way up. And my guest in studio with me is Hans Kirstead. He's a Democratic candidate in the California 48th Congressional District. And I'll put on the summary, podcast summary, all the cities, but you can always confirm where your Congressional District is when you put your name up on the ocvote.com website. So, let's uh, there's an, there's another kind of uh, overlapping kind of consideration for you the Supreme Court ruling yesterday that limits workers rights by allowing the use of arbitration clauses in employment contracts to prohibit workers from joining in-class action suits so now you are you're the head of a company and so where you you can sort of take both sides of that discussion <laughs> and whether you, uh, What you think the congressional kind of response is, since in the dissenting opinion, Ruth Bader Ginsburg said, this needs to be fixed in Congress. So what would you do in Congress to to address that ruling yesterday? Take
2: the side of the dissent in that I believe it does need to be fixed. I think that the, um, you know, I I come down to a basic premise of uh, rights that workers have to demand fair pay and equality um, in the workplace. And anytime that I see any sequestering of that power to companies and not in the hands of the workers, I'm against
0: it. Okay. So the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau is becoming a shell of what it once might have been that was created by the Dodd-Frank Act. It keeps on unraveling. So we've got the Office of Management and Budget director, also being the the director for the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, uh, Mulvaney. So uh, it seems it seemed like that the consumer. back You're talking consumer protection. So what would you, as a congressman, do to sort of stabilize that act? Because it seemed to be helping helping out people that were losing leverage right and left in finances.
2: You know, let's be clear that consumer protections have been. Missed- been systematically denigrated with the Trump administration. Not only the bureaus that govern it, but also the individual policies either being retracted or waivers granted. So for example, in the last five days of last year, when we were all cooling champagne and getting ready to celebrate a new year, in the very final hours before new year, when we were all busy, the following things happened. We saw a removal of all of the consumer protections that were put in place after the 2010 BP oil spill. Now, why is that? What does that benefit? It benefits the large oil companies because they don't have to spend as much money um, installing protective devices and assessments periodically with supervision over those devices. And what happened was we, we lost lives there. And those things were put in place to protect workers. They were taken away. In addition, we saw a removal of all fines to nursing homes that put their patients in danger. No fines. So why? What does that do? That happens to actually pad the pockets of these megalith conglomerates that control hundreds of nursing homes. That doesn't do anything for the consumer. We're seeing a systematic denigration. We need to bulk up those bureaus remove those waivers and instill some equality and normalcy into this devastated system
0: so i'm curious about how congressional candidates are approaching this campaign stretch here with the general sort of uh, distortions of the the balance between the branches of governments cuz what what you're you're saying we're talking about a law that was passed in congress that the executive branch has taking taking liberties with administration. It's either not funding them or putting in charge someone who was the fox guarding the chicken coop. So you're you're sort of being pithed here in the 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 congressional uh, branch of government, the legislative branch, to sort of shore up the democratic will. So what? What is your antidote to this distortion in our democratic process?
2: It's it's a twofold reaction that has not been happening. We're starting to see it happen of late as Trump has really gone off the edge and is frankly upsetting everyone Republicans and Democrats alike. First of all, it's a phase of congressmen and senators standing up and speaking out. We saw that the Republicans in the House and the Senate were simply not doing that. When when the president was actually denigrating even Republican uh, um, sentiments, they just did not stand up against him for fear that he would lash out at them publicly and decrease their chances of re-election. So one thing is just standing up and speaking out. Congressmen have a tremendous amount of power to sway public opinion in that regard, but we've got to have the gravitas to do so. Secondly, there's actual measures that can be taken demanding that the um, the measures taken by the executive branch be limited. Sometimes Trump is stepping over the bounds. For example, when he uh, launched bombs recently, he failed to get the approval of Congress. That can be stopped. It It was the right thing to do to launch those bombs, but he's supposed to follow an order that involves congressional approval, and he's not doing so. He's not doing so on many things. It's time that Congress step up and challenge the reach of the executive branch.
0: So that may be a matter of, though, which party is in the majority, because that... That distortion is a real problem.
2: Very, very real problem. But even if the Democrats are in the minority, we can still launch those initiatives. They may get blocked, but at the very least, they are going to raise public opinion and the outcry against these atrocities.
0: So part of the pr- consumer protection too is a, a, a gnarly little, uh, the, the payday loans, the, dis- the, the interest rates. And I, I had a chance to sort of you know, run by candidates. You know, what what's do you know is that where does that what interest rate does it top off at?
2: You know, I don't know the precise precise number if that's what you're asking. But it's up like it's high. It's up like it's four, above four digits. Yeah, it's above market.
0: Well, well, it's not. It's beyond. It's at. I say it's sort of like it's beyond. It's the it's the condo on Mars. It's so far up, uh, far out of there. Yes, so, it is. But uh, so how might you work with Congress to offer protection for? vulnerable, Because it, every time that legislation comes through, it, the payday lending companies always have the final say, and nothing happens to walk down that interest rate cap.
2: Yeah, again, we've seen a denigration of consumer protection branch that needs to be reversed, and we need to have more outcry by congressmen and women raising this issue because it's pillaging who? It's pillaging the working class. We keep pillaging the working class like the Trump administration is doing, and we march along a path that takes us something akin to Venezuela, where they just destroyed their middle class with overtaxation and a lack of protections. That's where we're heading. We need to stop that and protect the middle class.
0: That's a stunning analogy to draw. And if people are even, enough Americans are keeping track of how hollowed out that economy is.
2: You know, if I can say one thing, I have spoken to over 100 congressmen in the last six months, talking about various things. Every time I talk to them, I say, how's it going? How do you feel? And every single time they say with head hung low and serious eyes, I'm scared. We are in a worse position than the public even knows. I've been working on Lead the Hill. The health. Congress as yes. a branch, or
0: are you talking about the dem- democracy with the little Democracy
2: d. in yeah. total. I have been working with congressmen and women for decades now, and I have never seen such despondency, such despair, such fear. We are in a very, very tough place. I do not think my analogy is out of line at all.
0: So speaking of uh, the high stakes here, I, I'm asking all the congressional candidates about the Tax Overhaul Act, which I keep calling the 100 billion ton, not the 100 pound gorilla. What are your? What would you do? Because we, again, we don't know who's going to be in the majority come November 2018. So what would you do because of, of how it affects Orange County in a huge way and the, the state... Treasury is going to be eventually, and I don't hear much discussion about the state budget offsetting those costs that are passed back to uh, to California, like with the ACA and, and other areas. So what would, what would, what are your own marching orders to address an walk back some of these provisions in the Tax Overhaul Act?
2: Certainly reverse the changes to the SALT deductions. That's number one. And I realize that that is both a federal and state issue, but I would be championing both both in the Congress, but also standing up beside our governor and legislatures here in California to give them the weight, to give them the backing that they need to get that reversed. But it's a federal issue.
0: But that doesn't take... But what about the deficit that's... I mean, the whole redistribution Yeah, absolutely. Of, of so
2: my first priority, as I say, is this, reversing that SALT uh, change. The State and local oh, taxes. Yeah, state and local taxes. Um, you know, the when one takes a step back, the greatest problem that this tax code gave us was deficit. You know, over a trillion dollars in deficit. We're adding at a time when we don't need to be adding it. There was no reason to be adding that. What happened is that we gave breaks to the wealthy and breaks to the middle class and poor. The breaks on the latter all expire. The great breaks on the former do not. We've got a shifting over time of wealth Greater disparity, again, my analogy of marching the path that Venezuela has, is playing itself out, shifting to the poles and stripping the middle.
0: Is this where you feel really Canadian (laughs) when you think of that?
2: You know, I've lived in Canada, I've lived in England for many years, and I've lived here. And it was, I think, Henry David Thoreau that said, you should live in three countries to really appreciate the one that you love. And I love this country because we have... We have set up a system of check and balance in our legislation, we have set up a system that is stable even with extremes like Trump, and we've set up a system where someone like myself can come as an immigrant that is literally dirt poor and do well in the world. I am a product of the number one contributor to socioeconomic mobilization, and that is education. We've got to protect education. We've got to protect the supply of jobs to the middle class. Otherwise, even the poles, the wealthy and the poor, are equally denigrated.
0: So I, I do hear that trap in all debates about the zero-sum game, that, that when, when one class prospers, it doesn't necessarily draw away from another another niche exactly and, and but but i'm i'm hearing so many debates get stuck in that without identifying that and moving out of that frame of reference and mm-hmm. it's it, it's it's a bit abstract but people understand it if they, you know people move off the campaigns move off some of their talking points and get get intellectually honest about that well i we're we're running down here in our time my my last question to you is where can listeners hear you, and meet you in these last laps around the 48th Congressional District for June 5th?
2: Well, I'm doing about three events every day right up until June 5th. We have a field that has seven volunteer shifts per day. We're knocking on 17,000 doors every five days over the last month. You can come into our office in Costa Mesa, on 1954 Placentia Avenue, you can call us. You can get online at hansforca.com, H-A-N-S-F-O-R-C-A.com. Pick up the phone, talk to your neighbors, invite me over for a meet and greet, and I'll be there. This is what it's going to take to win this election. Every poll has me on top, and winning this thing, I want to stay there. Come and help.
0: Well actually the last last question is that it's very complicated in the 48th with at least three candidates that were I mean reasonably visible and they've all they've all made endorsements to to take their place but their names are all printed on the ballot so a quick little uh, little session with you here as we wind it down how do people deal with that ballot with so many not just so many candidates, but some of them that are no longer running.
2: Now, more than ever, we need constituents to read and read and read and read before you cast those ballots. Several people have dropped out. We need everyone to understand who that is. Read the ballots, go online, look up these candidates. see who they truly are, whether or not they're running. this This race is going to be Rohrbacher. Myself, Scott Baugh in third place, really close at my heels, and that is troublesome. If we split our vote as Democrats, Scott Baugh creeps up, and us Dems lose.
0: Well, I, I was always promising my listeners there would be no horse race coverage, but I but the ballot composition though is is a is a matter of consideration. So Certainly I, is. I was hoping we could do that, and I'll I'll bring it up with next week's too. So, well. I want to thank you very much for being on Ask a Leader, Hans Kirstead.
2: Thank you, Claudia.
0: My guest was Hans Kirstead, Democratic candidate in the 48th Congressional District. Yesterday was your last day to register unless you head straight to the Orange County Register for Our Voters Desk in Santa Ana. The other opponents challenging Dana Rohrbacher include Harley Ruda, who appeared on Real People of Orange County, Scott Baugh, who's not answered my request for an interview, and the incumbent has an established voting record and long career to which I direct listeners in the interest of limited time on my live programs. That was my wrap. And uh, next week, I will have on Omar Siddiqui, also a Democrat running in the 48th Congressional District. And as well, I will have Orange County Sheriff candidate Duke win. And I'm still inviting our incumbent Congresswoman, Mimi Walters, to be on the show. No one in her district office or her D.C. office is taking my request. OCVote.com for details about deadlines, early voting, registration confirmation. As I said, yesterday was your last day to register. So the Registrar of Voters in San ann is the desk, as well as the, the pop-ups there. So right through the uh, June 5th. Well, I just wanted, uh, as I said, we've got uh, the sheriff candidate on and another 40th congressional district. So, talk with you next week. Thank you, everyone, for listening.